good to be back with you. As I've already shared, most of you are aware, I've been in Queensland um, for the last week. Um, and sadly, the last day was absolutely freezing. And so I've come home to warmer weather um, today. So it wasn't all it cracked up to be. Um, so, yes. Um, but yeah, I, I thank Dennis for your message last week and your words. And, um, and I agree with Rob. I found them to be not only inspiring, but very encouraging um, while I was away and for challenging times. And I thank you. I really do. And um, yeah, today I'm continuing my sermon on the book of Ruth. If you remember last time we looked at how Naomi had left Moab to head back to Israel and she took her daughter-in-laws with her. The title of that sermon was Decisions, 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 because I said when you get to the last section of Ruth chapter 1, we see it's all about three women making decisions. We looked at the decision made by Naomi, how she got some way down the road of heading back to Judah, but then she stopped. And then she pleaded with her daughter-in-laws three times to leave her and go back home. And I said, for me, this decision was a bad decision because she was putting the girls back into a land where pagan gods were worshipped. Why wouldn't she take them into the land where God was blessing his people? Because that's why she started to head back. Well, today I'm looking at the other two decisions in this passage, the decision by Orpah and the decision by Ruth. And the title of my sermon today would be, Should I Stay or Should I Go? As we know, Orpah started to go back with Naomi to Bethlehem. We're told that. So we can assume that she had every intention of going with her the whole journey. Even when Naomi first told the girls to leave, they both said, No, we're going to go with you. But the more Naomi pleaded, Orpah made the decision to leave and go back. Once she began to contemplate the consequences of her decision of going back, in a way her decision was just simply to give up. So it seems Orpah was a woman of indecision. She started to go with Naomi. She wept many tears. She kissed Naomi affectionately, yet she turned her back and returned to Moab. It's interesting, it says she kissed her. The act of kissing is very rare and rarely mentioned in the Bible. However, it is mentioned twice in this opening verse. The first time was Naomi kissed her daughter-in-laws and now the second one is the kiss of farewell that Opar is giving. And so they watched her depart. Naomi says to Ruth words of true sadness. She's gone back to her people and she's gone back to her gods. So Naomi knew 100% what she was doing in turning them back and who they were turning back to. Opar listened to wrong counsel and returned to Moab. There she would most likely never know the true and living God. This meant for all intents and purposes Naomi's wrong decision in asking to the girls to return led to Opar's spiritual doom. Orpah had lived up to her name that she was given at birth. If you remember, we said her name meant back of neck. As she walked away, this is the last thing that these two ladies saw of her, the back of her neck. The word from which her name comes from the Hebrew word orphus, and it is an interesting pattern because this word is also used in Jeremiah when speaking of Moab doing exactly the same thing. In that verse in Jeremiah 48:39, it says, Moab turned their back or their necks to, to God. 
So instead of going to the land of Israel and seeking the face of God, she decided to turn her neck on God. Her decision was to return to heathenism and the false god of her worlds. She returned to heathenism of her world. And she most likely, sadly, never found the true and living God. In all probability, she went into eternity a lost sinner without God. Do you know the saddest thing about her life? The saddest thing about her decision to give up? Except from this record in this first chapter of Ruth, she's never heard of again in scripture. In fact, she literally walks off the pages of history. There is no record of what actually happened to her once she left. She most never, most likely never found the true God and in all probability she went into eternity without God. Opar was the weaker of the two sister-in-laws. She started to Bethlehem with Naomi, kissed her, wept with her, yet she did not stay with her. She made the wrong decision, she gave up and she turned her back. Opar kissed Naomi and left the scene and is never mentioned or heard of again. When confronted with the decision, should I stay or should I go, she chose to go. Now Ruth is confronted in the exact same decision. Thankfully, she chose wisely. Her decision had a much different outcome. Opa chose poorly, but Ruth chose another course. Her decision was to stand up. In contrast to Opar, who continued to fade into the distance along that dusty road in Moab, Ruth, we're told, clung steadfastly to Naomi. This word clung is a very strong and powerful Hebrew word. It is the same word used in Genesis 2.24 when speaking of a relationship between a man and his wife. It is also the same word used in Psalm 63 to describe a person who is absolutely determined to follow the Lord regardless of the cost. It says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. A good way to think of Ruth's grasp to Naomi is something that sticks like glue, forever binding, liquid nails. It's a binding which reflects a permanency. Even though at the time Naomi could be hardly seen to provide anything and live up to her name, remember Naomi's blame meant pleasantness of the Lord, Ruth was willing to endure the bitterness along the way with her. Despite the trials that lay ahead, Ruth was willing to endure the hand of the Lord. She was steadfast in her heart. So just as Opah fulfilled her name and her meaning, Ruth also fulfilled hers. One aspect of her name was his friend or companion. And in this act today, in this what she was doing, she proved to be such a true friend and companion. One who would stick closer than any bond other than death itself. Naomi was trying to cover up, Orpah gave up, but Ruth was made the decision to stand up. She refused to listen to her mother-in-law's pleas and her sister-in-law's bad example. She had experienced trials and disappointments, but instead of blaming God, she trusted him and was not ashamed to confess her faith. Instead of the bad example and disobedient, Ruth was wanted to be with Naomi. She wanted to be with her and her people and dwell in her land. To me, I see Ruth's actions as one of standing up by faith. Sure, she wanted to go with Naomi, but with everything in her and around her, there were nothing but obstacles. When you think about it, her background was against her. 
She was from Moab where they worshipped the god of Chemeth, which I said. Her god accepted human sacrifice and encouraged immorality. Not where she was heading. The background would have affected her standing and acceptance in Bethlehem. Her circumstances were against her. Her father-in-law died and her husband died and her brother-in-law has also died. So she was left a widow without any support. So you wouldn't really blame her for becoming bitter against God of Israel. Also, Naomi was against her. Ruth dearly loved her mother-in-law, but three times Ruth urged her return her to go to Moab. But in spite of all of this, in spite of all the obstacles, it seemed God intervened and graciously saved Ruth. Do you know, for me, Ruth's statements in verses 16 and 17 are some of the most magnificent confessions found anywhere in Scripture. First, she confessed her love for Naomi and her desire to stay with her mother-in-law even to death. She will remain steadfastly with her by her side forever. Not even the great divider of death will come between them because she not only was willing to die with her, she was willing to follow the custom practice of being buried with her. They were going to be together forever. Then she confessed her faith in the true and living God and her decision to worship him and him alone. Ruth steadfastly determined to accompany Naomi and live in Bethlehem with God's covenant people. Ruth understood and trusted, obviously, the providence of the Lord enough to commit to following Naomi and travelling home with her. She was willing to forsake her own family and their gods in order to cleave to Naomi and the God of her people. Whether he provide wealth or prosperity or poverty or desperation, she will serve this God to whom she's united wholeheartedly, like someone sticking like glue. No matter what trials would come or the hardships of the journey, whatever difficulties lay ahead, Ruth would accompany her and stand by her side. To complete her plea, she utters one final promise in her decision by making an oath. She says, may God deal with me however he likes if my promise to stay by your side is broken. In her mind, she was willing for God to send horrible and severe terrors to her if the truth of her words did not come to fruit. If she broke them years down the track, she was willing to suffer the consequences. And if God did that to her, her response would be, I deserve this because I broke my promise to Naomi. In her mind, now and forever afterwards, Naomi's people would be her people. Whether she would be accepted by them or not, she was seeing her destiny the same as Israel's destiny. If there were mountains to climb, she was going to climb them. If there was rivers to cross, she's going to cross them. If there were sharp, difficult stones to walk on, she was willing to walk. Having heard the substance of Ruth's words, having heard her plea, the exchange ends. We are told that Naomi stopped speaking to her and begged her to go no more. However, all of Ruth's persistence aside, she still had one big problem. There was a divine law that said, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generations. None of his descendants shall enter the congregations of the Lord forever. Deuteronomy 23.3. That meant permanent exclusion for her. She couldn't go back. How then 
did and could Ruth enter into the congregation of the Lord when this law was so prominent? Well, she did it by standing up and trusting God. She would have known that this step in her life, she was throwing herself completely on his mercy because she was breaking the law. She did not know what she was going to receive when she got back. Chances are she had a good idea. And when it comes for any of us getting into the family of God, we are all the same. We are His at his mercy. It's interesting we find the names of five women in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. The last is Mary, and she's included because of her faith. I don't know if you've ever studied the other four, but the other four have quite questionable credentials. Tamar considered incest with her father-in-law. Rahab was a Gentile harlot. Ruth was an outcast Gentile Moabite. And the wife of Uriah was an adulteress. How do they ever become part of the family of Jesus? How do they get their name in the book of Jesus? Through the sovereign grace and mercy of God. The same way you do and the same way I do. As Matthew Henry says about her words, Ruth is an example of the grace of God inclining the soul to choose a better path. Ruth put her trust in the God of Israel. No wonder it has been said one of Naomi's richest resources she ever had in her life was her daughter-in-law, Ruth. The end of the chapter focuses on, goes back to focusing on Naomi. We read at the end of this chapter when Naomi returned home after being away for 10 years, the women were quite shocked when they saw her. The question was, is this Naomi? Naomi would have gone out a much younger lady with her husbands and sons, but as she returned, she certainly looked older, she looked worn out, and she had sadness of her years. Have you ever been in that situation? Well, I have. Just last week, I went back and people made the comment to me, gee, you've put on weight. Do you know, I went back to this high school I worked at, kids aren't as polite. The kids said, Garth, you got a lot fatter. Well, it seems that this is what happened to Naomi. The entire picture that is given is one which had been shocking to the women who stayed in Bethlehem. They knew her, they recognised her, but they couldn't believe it was her. Her whole appearance of change. This suggestion of both surprise and bewilderment by the women is a true-to-life graphic reflection of the reality of Naomi's situation. It is visual. It helps us see she'd changed. She was not the Naomi who they knew a decade before. Her 10 years in Moab and the sorrows that had brought had obviously taken their toll on Naomi's appearance and on Naomi's personality. As I said, the name Naomi means pleasant of the Lord, but she was not living up to her name and she says so herself. As she reintroduced herself to the people of Bethlehem, she heard her given name repeated time and time again. It's Naomi, it's Naomi, it's Naomi. But she could only think that that name was no longer appropriate. Because of her affliction and trials, she felt the pain of it each time she heard that name repeated. It was no longer a fitting name for her and who she had become. She asked them, don't call me Naomi anymore. And so a change to reflect her name and see the true sad state of where she's at she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness of the Lord. Call me Mara, which means bitter. 
So for her, in her mind, the covenant God made with his people in Israel was distant. It was not there. Instead of receiving the pleasantness of the Lord or instead of being a part of the covenant people who are being blessed, she saw herself as outside of that. She saw herself as outside of the Lord's promises. She sees her life as the object of God's wrath, not blessing. That's where she stood. So she says, call me bitter. I find it interesting that she says, we went out full. I left full. No, she didn't. Naomi has forgotten that when she went out with her family, it was during a time of famine in search for bread and livelihood. It seems the disaster of 10 years were causing her to look back in what we would say through rose-coloured glasses. The overwhelming trials had coloured over the original reason why they'd left. When she looked back, all she could see and think of was who and what she left with. Her memories would have been with her husband and two sons and the things they carried along with them on their temporary pilgrimage to go and live away for a short time to escape a famine. She'd forgotten that she left a land which was plagued with a lack of food. She didn't leave full. She says, the Lord had brought me home empty again. The word translated empty doesn't mean exactly that. It's an absurd, not an adjective. Her words really are an emptily, he's brought me back home again. As if the entire process of this journey, this 10 years, for her, in coming back empty, have been without any positive benefit at all. In fact, the opposite has happened for her. The Lord has drained and disowned her. In her current misery, she even failed to acknowledge the positiveness of Ruth in her life. Ruth doesn't get a mention, if you notice. She wasn't completely empty or had no positive benefit. Ruth had clung to her and promised to continue to cling to her no matter what may come their way. But those faithful words on that dusty road leading home from Moab were overshadowed by the pitiful condition that she saw herself in once she got home to Bethlehem. Instead of making her better, the trials of life had made her bitter. Do you know, that's where chapter 1 ends. I can't help but think, in a way we're all corrupt because we know what's going to happen. But just stop for a minute and try and put yourself in this. You have no idea. This is where the book of, life, the book of Ruth ends. Imagine if it ends at chapter 1. There's no chapter 2, 3 and 4. What outcome do you think would take place for these women? How do you think they'd end up? Chances are, you would think, not very good. Life isn't going to turn out too well for them. Naomi had left Bethlehem to go to Marab with her family and she lost everything. When she left, she had no idea what would happen. Now, as she starts her trip back to Israel, again, she has no idea what's going to transpire. The Bible, with its many unusual stories and sometimes hard-to-figure details, is still very plain nevertheless. People ask me sometimes, how would I sum up the Bible? It's hard. But for me, the Bible is a book of stories which tell one greater story, and it's already been spoken on today. The Bible shows us the truth that there is always an all-embracing hand of providence over our lives. 
It doesn't matter what life you look at. It doesn't matter what pages you go to. The Bible is clear that God is in control and he has a hand over our lives. Even though the details of our lives are left out, our scripture reveals to us where we were, where we are now, and where we are headed. When we look at our scriptures, we can know this. God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. We know where the book of Ruth ends up, and aren't we so thankful that he does? He is guiding all things to a very good end for those who are willing to accept and trust the journey. Naomi doesn't know this at this point. She's still in self-pity. She's still wallowing, but we do. There are steps that we must take in order to come to the place where his greatness blessings can be bestowed. She doesn't get there, you know, and just sit back and do nothing. She's actively involved in Ruth's life and helping to bring Boaz into that situation. Well, we're the same every step, every step, every step, leading to the perfect fulfillments of his plans for us. If you've never taken that first step of the one of calling out for Jesus and asking him to be your saviour, please don't leave today without doing that. That's the first decision that starts right now. But when you do that, each moment in our life is uncertain. But let me tell you, without God, it's useless. If you take God out of your life, your life's not only uncertain, it's useless. However, with God, the unseen future may be a mystery, but it's definitely not useless. Whatever happens along the way, the end, the final destination for us is assured, and we can know that because of what we read in Scripture. Naomi struggled to see this, but we have her life recorded now to show us more than what she could see. Naomi thought that life had ended for her. She thought her trials were all that made her what she was, bitter. But praise be to God, her trials were really a new beginning for her. Naomi's faith and hope in God may have been dead at this point, but God had other plans for her. As we walk along life's journey, we never really know what's around the corner. Dennis is right. We spend our time making plans. We will plan to do something this afternoon, next week, and the week after. We make plans because we think we're in control. We may have plans, we may have maps, and we may have petrol to go on a trip. But in reality, we're as blind as Naomi to know what's going to happen a second from now. From our passages that we've looked at over the last two weeks, we've seen a decision made by three women, Naomi, Orpah and Ruth. And these women faced these trying times in their lives. The decisions of these three women did influence their lives forever. We can't control the circumstances of life, but we can control how we respond to them. We can cover up. We can have sin in our life and try and cover up, like Naomi did. We can give up and turn our back and walk the other way or we can stand up. Standing up is what faith in God is all about. Daring to believe that God is working everything for good even when we don't feel it or even when we don't even see it. I'll tell you, it isn't always easy to stand up and obey. But obeying God, standing up for him is the best antidote against bitterness and a critical spirit. Having faith is the best way to get rid of your bitter spirit. 
In God, it's never too late to start over again. Naomi and Ruth are about to make a new beginning with God and for God. They don't know it, we do. And God offers us the same. When we fear God, we do not near fear anything else. Stop staring at the wall and by faith, get up and open the door to a brand new tomorrow. Let me give you three very quick quotes. President Woodrow Wilson said, I firmly believe in divine providence. Without it, I think I should go crazy. Without God, the world would be amazed without a clue. On his deathbed, John Wesley said, Best of all, God is with us. God is not only with us, but God is also for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Alexander White often told his Embra congregation that the victorious Christian life is a life of series of new beginnings every day. Are we trusting God for new beginnings? After all, we've got at our side, our resources are far greater than our burdens. Often some of the most momentous decisions we make in life are done in the times of trials and difficulties. Well, let me tell you, we can run from our problems or we can meet them straight on. What we do is determined by the decisions we make. For sure, we live in a world of troubles, trials and woes. And often things occur which make us question God. Is this hand of God still in control? We look at news readings and we read newspapers and sometimes we shake our heads and, and we think, what path should we take? Sometimes each step can be painful and heartbreaking. But at the end of the miserable, weary path, we find that God was there all along guiding us. We thought that we were objects of his wrath, but instead we were just being moulded to be like Jesus Christ. Isaiah 42.16 says this, I will lead the blind by the ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do, says the Lord. I will not forsake them. Julie mentioned about being in the presence of God and it's a blessing. It is. Is that how you see your life all the time? What about the times of trials? What about the times when you're not having such a good life? Do you know, for me, I can tell you, a few years ago, my brother, who's younger than me, took his own life. My sister didn't cope and did something really silly, and now she's serving the longest prison sentence in South Australian history. I think the sad thing in that is my parents blamed God and turned. Do you ever see yourself as bitter because God is cursing you? Do you honestly think it's possible to step outside the grace of God? Do you honestly believe that you could go and do something so bad, so wrong, that God wipes his hands of you and you step outside the grace? Remember, Naomi thought that she was outside the covenant. Don't ever get like that. Don't ever see God is blaming you for something. Always remember, it doesn't matter what you see, your story ain't over yet. The book of Ruth, thankfully, doesn't finish at the end of chapter one. Ruth and Naomi's story is not over yet. Neither is mine. Neither is my parents. 
and neither is yours. Don't ever think that you can step outside the grace of God. When you are in his prayer ends, it is joyful regardless of what you are facing. That's why the Bible doesn't mention happiness. The Bible mentions joyfulness. You can have joy in the midst of trials. You may not necessarily be happy, but you can have joy. Why? Because you know that you're on a path that the hand of God is guiding you. Wherever you are, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and purpose for you. He knows your trials, he knows your troubles, and he knows your woes. And he's not only there for you, he is there with you. So cling to him and let him do marvellous things, not only for you, but let him do marvellous things through you. His ways are far above ours. So let us trust in him. Let us never let our faith fail as the each day we live. Let us never believe that we are outside of God's grace. He is tending to us and in all his ways he is just. So let us to him give all our praise, all our thanks and all our joy. Hallelujah and Amen.